is really a big thing. It is a big part of what seeps into our story, becomes a portion of the foundation of our story. And if that is a part of the foundation of our story, then shame can also determine our ceiling. So we're only going to allow ourselves to believe so many things about ourselves that are healthful and helpful. We're only going to be able to have relationships of a certain caliber because shame is going to prevent us from getting where we really need to go. Lies about who we are, the story that we tell ourselves, and oftentimes that story has started three generations before us. Welcome to the Your Genius Zone podcast today. I have my good friend with me, Gina Berkmeyer, who is an expert. She is a genius. She is one of my favorite people uh, because what she's so good at is listening. I know that sounds crazy, but she is a coach, counselor, speaker, author, blogger, and the list goes on, mother, you know, friend, all these things. But what she does so well is cue into those places in our lives that are filled with gaps, right? So one of the things that we're finding out about our genius is that we all have it, but yet we feel the insecurities and the fears and the doubts and the frustrations of failures in the past, of the hopes that we have for the future not fully realized yet. And so a lot of what a great counselor like Gina does is listen in and find those nuances in us that we would not have otherwise been aware of. I've watched her do it with me. I've watched her do it with others. I've watched her do it with large groups. She is a speaker. She is someone who can articulate her understanding of, of the human condition better than anyone I've really ever seen in a clinical setting. Uh, I just recently got to be a part of a, a group of, of adults who were dealing with uh, circumstances in their own families that are really heartbreaking. But her understanding of those circumstances was second to none. She came in and every single one of us to a T just kind of said, hmm. Like, yeah, that's what we're experiencing. That's why we need a counselor. Thank you. Tell us more. So, Gina, welcome to the program. Thank you, Monty. It's great to be here. And thanks for that incredible introduction. Well, I meant every word of it. I really do not even fully know how to describe you because you do wear a lot of different hats. So just give us a little bit of the panoply of your uh, vocational life so that folks can understand what it is you do and, and how they can one day maybe even reach out to okay. you. Okay. Well, I would say that for me, it started, it was born out of my own journey, uh, my own need to understand what had gone on in my life, how that had impacted my identity, and how I could move from what God had brought me through to helping others discover these things for themselves. So I started in um, pastoral ministry. I did a lot of crisis intervention. I was on staff at a church. I worked with uh, women coming out of prison women coming out of domestic violence situations, women who were significantly under-resourced with their children, and also some families as well. And so through that, I just started really understanding more and more about some of the generational patterns, some of those things we carry forward, how we end up broken in relationship and how we can also consequently heal in relationship and really just wanted to become passionate about helping people 
understand that for themselves, finding what truth really was for their life, and then helping them move toward living out of that truth. So my journey went from, it's, it's pretty holistic. I started in this arena of pastoral care, and then I moved into more pastoral care, and then really recognized that there was some elements missing. I was trying to work into the emotional, mental piece, the spiritual piece, but the physical piece was also very important. And I recognized the connection between those things, went and received some certification and training in nutrition and fitness, recognized and learned about different types of problems we can have that affect us emotionally and mentally because of what's going on with us physically, understanding how trauma has a relationship to some of the things that play out physically in our lives. And then from there, moving on to clinical training and getting a more true clinical training and becoming versed in trauma care, understanding addiction, generational patterns, uh, personality disorders and things like that. So really working to understand the whole of a person and really addressing the whole of a person rather than just saying, well, let's go after that from a spiritual perspective. Let's take a look at that from a psychological perspective. Let's really look at, because we are physical, emotional, mental, spiritual beings. We are, we are all of those things and one impacts the next and impacts the next. So really you're a holistic coach. I was thinking about saying pastoral coach. You know, it's interesting because uh, in a large way, that phrase pastor has been tarnished, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Catholic church fiascos, the right. Um, and I'm not bagging anybody out there who's Catholics that don't misunderstand me. I, I just mean that there have been many and it's not um, exclusive things in the church. Catholic. Correct. Yeah. yeah. There have just been so many things recently even uh, mm-hmm. within the church, uh, the Protestant and Catholic church, Christian, mm-hmm. you know, right. pastors right. doing right. the wrong yes. things. But pastoral in, in a uh, definitive word is just a way of saying someone who cares for the whole of you. And Gina does that. She's, you know, obviously articulated. That's not just physical. That's not just mental. That's not just emotional. That's um, the spiritual way it ties everything together. More recently, it has become a lot less about what the one-on-one looks like for me because Mm -hmm. I do feel like I really want to help more people understanding where we've come from, particularly when we have trauma in our history. If there is a borderline disorder or a personality disorder in a parent that has affected us and affects consequently our identity, helping people understand that whatever form of trauma might look like in the, in a life of an individual and helping them move forward. I think a lot of us are, are learning about our genius zone, though, that our specialty comes out of a personal experience. In other words, there are circumstances in our lives that we didn't necessarily choose, but because we know so much about what we've been through ourselves, we are best able to help those who are experiencing similar things. And I think that's true. I think for me, what I have seen in my office more often than not, I have seen particularly women, but also men who are living out the consequences of being raised in a home that was traumatic, whether there was addiction or a personality disorder 
or um, sexual abuse or uh, what I call developmental abuse, where there was neglect and, and trauma in that developmental line that doesn't allow you to really get the foundation to become who you are in a healthy and clearly viewed way. So that is really how I work with my clients. And that's how I work when I speak to a room. That is how I work with groups. That is some of the experiential things that I'm working toward developing right now for individuals and groups. First, we have to understand that there may be some unlearning required before we can actually learn some things. Maybe not even so much before, maybe there's, it's simultaneous more than anything. But understanding that a lot of what we believe about ourselves, a lot of the ways that we view the world, that we view relationships, that we view God, may not be entirely accurate or entirely healthful. And that comes from being raised in a house that brings you to believe certain things about yourself and about other people. And so one of the things that you hear a lot, you know, it's, it's become kind of a buzzword, which is sort of a shame because I think um, huh, that is actually the word. Uh, but I think it's, it's unfortunate that it's become such a buzzword that we, it's starting to lose its impact. We're becoming desensitized to it. But shame is really a big thing. It is a big part of what seeps into our story, becomes a portion of the foundation of our story. And if that is a part of the foundation of our story, then shame can also determine our ceiling. So we're only going to allow ourselves to believe so many things about ourselves that are healthful and helpful. We're only going to be able to have relationships of a certain caliber because shame is going to prevent us from getting where we really need to go lies about who we are, the story that we tell ourselves is going to prevent us from going where we want to go. Science shows us with epigenetic research, what we're seeing is that there is this repetition of pattern, whether it's belief, behavior, whatever, that is played out even in genetic issues to third and sometimes fourth generations. You need to figure out how you're going to live your life because it will affect your kids and it will affect your kids' kids. If you haven't figured it out, let's make a way for healing. And there is a way. There's always a way for healing. You're talking about uprooting a false identity, which is based in shame. 100%. And so all of us, to some degree or another, have been raised by broken people. There's no, there's no one who isn't. And so we, we have these lies that are baked into the cake of our identity. Mm-hmm. We see these lies become our ceiling of achievement. That's correct. And I think some people don't even recognize that this has happened. I see people in my office all the time who say things like, I don't understand why I am where I am in life. Why am I struggling with addiction? Why am I struggling with depression? Why am I struggling with this and that? I didn't have a rough childhood. My parents got divorced. Big deal. Well, when you pull back some of the layers, it actually is a big deal. But I think because it's, it was about more than just a divorce or more than just my mother was never married to my father or more than just my dad had a drinking problem because it's that. And then it's, what did that tell you about yourself? What did you begin to believe about yourself and other people because you were raised in that, in that sort of environment? And unfortunately, I think because of media, because of society and the condition of society right now, we see so many things that are blatantly horrible and evil and these great atrocities that people 
live through. And then this is our story. And it seems so mainstream because of the condition of the family in a lot of areas. We don't feel that we have permission to say, hey, that was a real thing that is still impacting me today. We've even become desensitized to our own story and to our own roots. And so the power of regaining that sensitivity of coming to a counselor like yourself, of going to one of these events, reading books like this, is that we learn to feel the pain, I suppose, instead of cope it away. But we also, we also move towards what? I mean, what is it that, that should be the goal of our uprooting this shame, uprooting this guilt, uprooting this false identity that we started with? I think it's compassionate wholeness towards ourselves and consequently towards others. And that has to be rooted in truth and security. And I think those are the things that a lot of us don't recognize that we've missed out on as kids that play out later in life. We believe these thoughts that pop into our head about ourselves and rarely does it occur to us that we don't have to believe every thought that pops into our head. Mm. Not every thought about ourselves that pops into our head is true, is helpful, is healthful. So where, where did that come from? Identity statements can seep into the smallest of places. You're making a recipe in the kitchen and you screw up the measurement. I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that whoa, hang on a second. You just like put in a little bit more than you should have. That doesn't make you stupid. Where did that come from? Why, mm. why would you even say that to yourself, right? Those right. kinds of things. Someone, something that happens, a social event happens and your name's not on the list. Of course, my name's not on the list. I'm not worthy of an invite. Whoa, where did that come through? Why would you think that about yourself? So really beginning to challenge those statements for ourselves and then pull them out by their roots. So let's talk to the person who's listening and says, you know, this is all good psychological babble, but um, you know, I got, I'm pretty okay. I got raised in an okay family. You know, we had our, our somewhat of our dysfunction here or there or whatever it is. How would that person who's in that position of sort of saying, nah, this probably doesn't affect me as much identify some of the signs that you're talking about the the you know the voices of of you know you're not good enough or you're 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 you know obviously not on that list or whatever those kind of voices would be would that be one of the signs and symptoms of of something that's going on underneath and what would be other symptoms yeah so i think uh well any of those absolutely i think can be a sign that we have some underlying falseness that we are holding on to about our identity so there's something called a self narrative it's actually created within the brain the right hippocampus is a very important part of creating that and we know that the hippocampus is significantly impacted by trauma at any time but particularly as as kids our self narrative can become very skewed and very damaged at a very early age without us even recognizing that we've carried that forward. So when we have these derogatory statements about ourselves, these unhealthy, unhelpful statements, that's something to pay attention to. When we self-sabotage, and it could be in very covert ways, for instance, our physical health, we may say, oh, well, I don't self-sabotage. I've got a good job. My family's okay. All right, but do you do you numb out in front of the TV every night with a bag of chips? Why why is that happening? What's what is the need to numb? What is that about? Rather than engaging in relationship or taking a walk or doing something healthy or helpful for yourself. Uh, if you are a person who has a faith, if you are a person who believes in God, taking a look at what you believe about yourself 
and laying it against what God says about you. Do those things line up? Do you believe those things? Do you believe those good, true things about who you are as a person? Can you believe those things? Or do you think that's true about everybody else and not you? What is the condition of your relationships? Do you seem to find yourself perpetually in relationships where you're harmed in one way or another? And I don't mean hurt because we all get our feelings hurt. My husband is a wonderful man. And unfortunately, sometimes he says things that hurt my feelings. We talk through it. We get over it. I'm talking about harmed. I'm talking about not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. Do you find yourself in relationships that are not helpful and healthful? Do you find yourself carrying the load in the majority of your relationships, whether it's friends or family or significant other? What, what is going on about those things? Is there a fear-based motivation in your relationships? Do you continue to do these things and find yourself in these relationships, not giving your best yes and your best no because you're afraid of what someone might think about you? or because you might be rejected? Are you turning to substances? Are you working to distract yourself every time a certain memory from your past comes up? These are all questions that can lead us to, little clues, breadcrumbs that can lead us to, to take a look and see, okay, you know what? Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's something I need to look at. There is a, an inventory. Now, this is not exhaustive, but it's certainly at like a 30,000-foot view that a person can go and take a look at. It's called the ACE the Adverse Childhood Experience Inventory. And anyone can go find this online. You can take it. it it's actually, it will eventually be in my book next year when it's published. But um, the ACE is really helpful because it gives you a look at a list of things that have happened that for some of us, we may say, well, yeah, of course that happened. Or of course that happened in my family. But they give you these questions to answer. And then based on your score, they will tell you a little bit about what your situation really is and what they're recommended and what the recommendations are to further take a look at what kind of work maybe that you need to do. I want to really, really, really stress that that is not an exhaustive list. There are a myriad of things that one has experienced in could have experienced in their childhood that has caused them trauma later on in life. And so it doesn't mean that if what you experienced isn't on that list, then, then you should be fine. It's not another tool to look at and say, see, there's no big deal. What's there? I shouldn't have any problems. That's not what it's for, but it is a good 30,000 foot view of some of the bigger things that people can come across that can cause issues in our lives later. And you're also suggesting that trauma doesn't just happen once. It's something that even as we're watching television, we are exposed to in yes. uh, some capacity as adults, uh, mm-hmm. but, but also then, you know, life experiences, circumstances, uh, divorces, addiction, deaths in the family. You've got all these different right. things That's that right. can resurface um, roots that are going way back, but also sure. maybe don't resurface roots. They just plant new roots and new lies that are needing to be uprooted. Yes. And that's a good point because that it can hit you at any point in time over your life and it can still mold your identity. You can, you can be an adult and have found yourself exposed to a trauma in a relationship, what have you, over a certain period of time that can then begin to remold an identity that perhaps at one point in time was healthy. A lot of times these things can ignite something that we didn't even know was there from childhood too. Mm. So 
when we're able to do that for ourselves, we can also take a look at, okay, here's what, now I'm learning these things about myself and how they've affected me. What of those questions can I answer about my mother or my father or my grandmother or my grandfather? Because it's helpful to know those things, to understand that the roots might be deeper than we think, hmm. particularly from a, a genetic you know, perspective, like what we can maybe have carried forward. Mm. So I think it is really important to know that the other thing that that does for us is it helps us build compassion. You know, a, a lot of people cringe when I say that because, you know, in their minds, they're thinking, okay, but if I'm compassionate, that means I'm letting them off the hook for what they've done. And it's actually not true. But when you can find that compassion, it's another layer of being able to let go. It's another layer of being able to say, it wasn't about me. I suffered the consequences. That's not okay. That's never okay. And I believe consequently, it helps our identity to be able to pull out that compassion. It was something that it took me a while to work on in my own story. It was really difficult. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say is that healing is an ongoing process. And in a large part, you know, developing yourself is a constant learning. And so being aware is uh, a choice that you make to continually invest in yourself and to continually grow in the right things, compassion, forgiveness, uh, integrity, character, so that your understanding of the decisions you're making isn't in a vacuum, that you're not doing these things because you're an awful, terrible, no good, horrible person. You're doing these things in part because you are the product of people that have come before you and affected you. Mm -hmm. People who are in your life currently that are affecting you. And then the people around you and that you're surrounding yourself with on a regular basis. And some of those people are your family. That's for sure. Unfortunately, it isn't always safe to have those familial relationships. Mm. Sometimes it's, I understand your brokenness and I understand how it's affected me. And because someone decides they don't want to work on their brokenness, we have to consciously make a boundary in our own lives. And that boundary will limit my exposure or this is a very unsafe person. Unfortunately, I can't have any exposure to that person. doesn't mean that you don't love them. The important thing is to get healthy for yourself before you, are, before you can set those boundaries. Otherwise, your boundaries are set based on anger, a need to self-protect that is almost uh, a frenetic pace. The moment that person holds a glimmer of hope or improvement, even if it's not real, you will drop all of your boundaries and open yourself up to being harmed again. They'll make a small shift that makes it appear that they've changed all of a sudden saying, oh, great, this is going to work out great because you're optimistic and hopeful and yet you haven't built sort of a necessary foundation of strength that allows you to say, okay, well, that's a good sign of progress, but it's not, it's not um, the totality of this person yet. They, they have multiple choices I have to observe before that trust can be rebuilt. Correct. Yes. At any point in time, if emotionality is driving our decisions, whether it's about a boundary or, 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 a relationship or whatever, we, we stand to be in a little bit of danger. So. Mm, mm. Yeah, there's, there's a whole conversation we could have right yeah. there. And yeah. I think I'm going to write that down for our next one because <laughs> I hope I get to have you back. Anytime we make decisions based on our emotions, we need to slow down and take a step back. 
you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's going to be a theme for, for the future. I, I hope you'll come back with us, Gina, because I do need to start winding us towards home. But what, one of the words that's standing out today is healthful. I love that you keep using that. It's not help with a P, right. but health as in your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, full. It's the first time I've heard it used. Tell us what is healthful on a daily basis so that we can start building our foundation on truth and begin maybe some of the work that you're talking about here today and uprooting you know, the past shame, the past guilt, or even in a circumstance where we're in a bad relationship with boundaries that's needing to be rebuilt or, or uh, established for the first time. Tell us, how do we begin the process of a healthful life? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say a whole bunch of things, and it doesn't mean either it's, this isn't an all or nothing, right? It's a baby step thing, and eventually one will hopefully lead to the next. So I think healthful is really paying attention to your diet. And when I say diet, immediately everybody thinks food. I'm not talking about food. Diet is whatever we take in to sustain us socially, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And if you just wrote your routine down on a piece of paper and in the next column, you wrote healthful and unhealthful, which one of those columns would you be able to check off Mm. based on what that behavior is? I sat in front of the TV and binged watched 14 episodes of Supergirl with a giant mound of buttered popcorn in front of me. Healthful or unhealthful? How did you read my journal? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so be careful with things like that because, you know, at first glance, that's, oh, unhealthful. Well, Did I sit with like five friends and talk and watch some of those episodes and then we left and we went for a walk? You know what I mean? So it's like, Mm -hmm. don't, don't get too crazy down on yourself, but who am, who am I allowing to speak into my life? Put names down on the list with healthful and unhealthful next to them. Is this someone who I can share my successes with and they're joyful with me or is there a tinge of jealousy in what they say which column do they get to go in when i have a problem and i come to them how do i feel when i walk away are they validating me appropriately or are they just telling me yes to everything whether it's healthy or unhealthy that i'm doing in my life are these people moving me towards a more healthy life do i feel held accountable in a loving way by these people are they healthful or unhealthful so i think it really does begin by taking a look at when you say your life, well, just write down, you know, what do you do for a few days? Just kind of keep a little log and start that little healthful, unhealthful thing. One other thing that I work with my clients on is internal language. So when you're walking, just walking around in your day, how many judgmental thoughts are you thinking towards yourself and towards other people? Mm. I actually tell my clients to get a clicker. You know, the little clickers that when you go through like an amusement park and they're like Mm -hmm. taking a tally. So I will tell clients to grab one of those and put it on their purse or their belt or somewhere where they can keep it with them. And every time they have a judgmental thought, click it. Because research shows us even by just watching that behavior, we can change it. But it also gives us some cues into what might be more deeply rooted about how we see ourselves in the world around us. And judgments are really important. I don't, I don't mean like we all have to make judgments, but being judgmental is very unhealthful to us and to, to the people that we interact with every day. 
Mm. Where, where are you with your spirituality? Here's the thing. We, we need this in our life. We do. So how do we start to access that? What feeds your soul? Mm. Ask yourself that question. If you can't answer it, start trying things. Is it painting a picture? Mm. Is it going for a walk in nature? Is it writing, journaling? Is it getting on your bike and just pedaling as fast as you can, as far as you can, and, and just a crazy, intense workout? Uh, is it time with your most beloved people in your life? Is it time with your animal? Is it volunteering? What are the things that feed your soul? Mm. That connect you and remind you that there is something deeper than the external that you deal with every day. And is the goal in some ways to get to a place where your soul is engaged in everything in that way? I want to be careful saying this. I'm not a fan of always and never words, but I don't think that there is much that I do in my life where my spirit is not engaged. Mm. Uh, if, if I feel like I have to protect my spirit from what I'm doing or disconnect my spirit from what I'm doing, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. I'm going to be careful with the should word, but it's pro it probably wouldn't fall into the healthful category. Right. If I feel like I need to disconnect that part of myself from it. And yet that is part of what we're saying is the trauma experience. We begin protecting our spirit from certain things. I think that the ability to disconnect in some respects is truly a gift. Mm. And initially when we're dealing with the, tra the traumatic experience, when we're going through that part of life, whether it's as a child, an adolescent, an adult, there is something healthy about our brain that kicks in and says, we're going to disconnect from this. We're not going to allow ourselves to be fully exposed because this can be very damaging. So it's very adaptive. However, when you get into life later and you there are relationships that you don't need that self-protection in. You don't need that disconnection and you continue to do it. It's then maladaptive. And now you're in a space where it's actually preventing you from having a quality of life that you really want. You have a book coming out, which is fantastic, by the way, everyone listening. I've gotten a first read um, <laughs> because it actually gives real applications to everything we're talking about. In other words, just like this diet exercise where you can draw a line right down the middle and there's healthful and unhealthful, Gina and her co-author have put together a companion book to a tremendous book that, that's already out there about how our, our mind and our body are created. And therefore, you can study them and, and really understand the science behind us. But at the same time, there really is this part of our life, this soul that we have to feed. And they're not separate. They're together. And so you've given us exercises throughout this book, which is called Your Faithful Brain. Uh, and then I think the colon is there. And then there's a there's one big word. What is it? Updated, not updated. Ignited. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> so being able to ignite your faithful brain. Right. The ability um, to do some of these exercises that, uh, that sort of spark this life in people. Tell us a little bit when, about when that book comes out and um, uh, where they can get it. So, uh, so it was, it's a guidebook that's created to go with your faithful brain designed for more, which was written by Dr. Leonard Matheson, who is a neurorehabilitative psychologist and also has been a mentor of mine for over a decade. And a colleague of mine, uh, Dondra Agavino, and I 
had the privilege of writing this guidebook. And what we've done is we've taken the material in Dr. Matheson's book and made it much more accessible, as you said, with exercises. There are vignettes that sum up the chapters in, in a life applicable way. And then a lot of opportunities to engage both the left and right hemispheres of the brain, which integration is super important to our overall health, as well as the heart-brain connection. And so we're really excited about the book. We've done some test groups with the book, which went really well. Uh, and it's really been fun to see people find a more full life as the result of it. What we're doing right now is we're putting together a launch team. The launch team is actually going to be a group of people who will read through Dr. Matheson's book and then work through your Faithful Brain Ignited guidebook. And we're gonna all do that together. And then we're gonna put that out at the beginning of the year and other people will be able to order the book and then get the book. They can get Dr. Matheson's book right now, but if people are interested in being on the launch team, they can actually contact me because we do have a few spots left. Her blog is itsmyoutloudvoice.com. And when you go there, you can read all of Gina's thoughts, but also she's very accessible there. So you can also contact her through that page. And I'll also put your contact in information up there, Gina, if that's okay with you. Sure. And if folks want to be on that, then you just fill out your email address and she'll get that and she'll be able to get in contact with you. Yes. So our goal is to do the launch this year, the end of this year. Launch team is kind of a fun word, but it's really a community. And what happens to the people that decide they want to be on this is they get to have one of Dr. Matheson's books for free, autographed, and then they get a free copy of our book a free electronic copy of our book, and then they get a community that they can engage in as little or as much as they like while they're working through the book together. So it'll be a lot of fun with a lot of different links that we share, free information, videos, a chance to get to know other people who are interested in understanding the heart-brain connection. Mm. And so there's a couple things that I just wanna highlight here and then we're headed home. This is, um, this is a lot of work, this is deep work, and yet, it is so worth it. When, when you are um, coming alive and healing on an everyday basis, you see the world in technicolor instead of the black and white that we often do. And Gina is uh, such a great guide for this. You really cannot afford not to be a part of something like this in your life. And, and I know a lot of people have to spend a lot of money to do these things, but this is actually an opportunity for you to kind of get on board uh, free books you know, free uh, group, free teaching from some of the best counselors in the world. And I mean that, um, you know, Dr. Len Matheson is, is renowned, uh, but so will Gina be very shortly. So I want you to um, take this invitation. If you are one of those people who's worried about money, this is a great opportunity for you because you're getting your foot in the door early. Um, and, and if you are someone who's at that place where you need a little bit more attention, a little bit more one-on-one, -on -one, please reach out to Gina. She's phenomenal. I know you've picked that up from listening to this, but uh, I just want to say thank you for being here, Gina. I hope you'll come back again. I would love to. Thank you. Okay. Fantastic. And we will touch base with you later next year about how the book is going. Folks, thank you for joining us on the Your Genius Zone podcast. I'll make sure to have Gina's contact information available for you. Get signed up for the launch team. And it's a really beautiful thing when your spirit awakens and you're alive in a new way that you haven't been before. And in, uh, I just thank you for being here, Gina. Thank you for having me, Monty. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.